that I hate it. I remember growing up in elementary school, we lived in Stone Mountain, Georgia, which is right outside of Atlanta. And I remember we had a basement in our house. And I have these memories of having to be in the middle of a tornado warning down in our basement. I remember one time opening the door and looking outside and it was just green and I was terrified. And and I remember in the middle of the night, often my parents would come wake us up way upstairs and we'd walk all the way downstairs and down into the basement in the middle of these tornado warnings. And I hated them. And I was so annoyed because my brother could sleep through anything. And so he's asleep. My sister often was asleep. And I was awake all the time, terrified. And I remember my parents having this little portable black radio with batteries in it that they would take down there so they would know what was going on in the storm. And about a year ago, we had one of those tornado warning watches things here in Fort Worth. And it was probably about three in the morning and the sirens went off and it, the storm was loud. Like it was amazingly loud. I thought, surely no one in Fort Worth is asleep. And so I got up and I went to the safest part of my house and I'm just waiting the storm out. And you know how storms kind of ebb and flow and sometimes you, you don't know when they're really going to be done. You know, it's, it gets softer and louder and you don't really know and, The electricity, of course, is out, so I couldn't turn on the TV, and um, I was, my internet is connected to the TV, and so I couldn't, like, I'm sitting there in the middle of this storm, and it would ebb and flow, and I had no idea when it was going to pass. And so I was in the dark, partially because it was the middle of the night, and there was a terrible storm, but I was also in the dark because I had no idea what was going on, and I had no way to access any information to find out, is the storm passed, is it not passed? There was nothing to give me any sort of truth or guidance in the middle of this situation, and so finally... You're going to laugh at me. I figured everyone had to be awake. And there were some friends of mine who lived down the street who I knew had internet on their phone. So at 3.30 in the morning, I call them and say, will you please look on your phone? Is the storm passed? Is the storm not passed? Can I go back to bed? And I was in the dark, again, partially because it was a middle of a storm, but partially because I had no idea what was going on. As we study Deuteronomy chapter 29 today, I'm getting ready to read the chapter, and we're going to do something kind of unique as we read it, but I want to remind us before we get there where we are in Deuteronomy. You know, we've been studying it for weeks, and God has been reviewing with the nation of Israel his faithfulness to them, what he's done. He has laid out for them the laws that they are supposed to do. He's laid out for them his expectation that they would obey him. Last week, we looked at his, the results of if they obeyed, how God would bless them, and if they didn't, how curses would come. And this week in chapter 29, we're going to read about this covenant renewal, how God is renewing the covenant that he has made previously with the nation of Israel that we've been studying and looking at, and he's renewing that covenant relationship with them. And we're going to read some things similar to what we've been reading in Deuteronomy. We're going to read about God's... Uh, They're going to remember what God has done for them in the past. They'll see the curses that will come if they don't obey. It's going to be some very similar themes. And so what I want to ask you to do, if you can, as we read through this chapter, and there'll be moments that I'll stop and point a couple of things out, but I want you to just kind of, if you can, in the back of your head as we read, imagine what life would have been like for the nation of Israel if God had not written chapter 29. The things we read, the things we learn about God, the things he revealed. I just want you to think, if you can, just in the back of your mind as we read, 
What would life have been like for them? And what would life have been like for us if we didn't know the things that we're getting ready to read about in chapter 29? So pull out your Bibles and we will start to walk through it. Starting in verse 1. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. Now imagine just for a minute the nation of Israel getting ready to enter the promised land. What if God had never revealed and shown them his great power and his great wonders? What if they were going to be given a task to take over a land, but not be informed, not know about the power of God? How different their life would have been. How different that situation would have been, their experience would have been, if they had not known the great wonders of God. If they had not seen his powers Previously, Going on with verse 4, but to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand, or eyes to see, or ears to hear. I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread, and you have not drunk wine or strong drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. God was their provider. They had seen that through the manna that he had given him, through the clothes that he had given him that had not faded. What if they didn't know that God was a provider? How scary and dark a place would that be if we did not know the provision of our God? In these crazy economic and financial times, what if we didn't have the promise? What if God had not revealed to us that he is a faithful provider? How different our experience in life would be. Let's keep going. Verse 7. And when you came to this place, Shion the king of Heshbon and Og the king of Bashan came out against us to battle, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it for an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of the Manassites. How much more encouraging is our life and less dark is it because we know that our God is a victor. Because God wins battles, because he's won the ultimate battle, because we know that he gives so much to us. How much richer and fuller is our experience? How much less dark is it, this place in which we live, because we know that about our God? Let's keep going. Verse 9. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives and the sojourner who's in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, and that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised to you, and as he swore to your fathers, To Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God, and with whoever is not here with us today. Now that's a huge one. Can you imagine if God had never spoken the covenant, if he'd never made a covenant with Israel? That was the all-consuming relationship of their life. What if God had never spoken? 
Can you imagine the darkness and confusion our life would be if God had never spoken and given us the scriptures? If we didn't have the promises of God to lean on, what if he'd never done that? Let's keep going. Verse 16, you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. And you've seen their detestable things. Their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. How great is it that God has warned us about idols, about sin, about how terrible it be if we fall into it. What if we didn't know that? The extra amount of destruction that would be in our life if God had not chosen to warn us about the danger of not walking with him. Verse 20, the Lord will be willing to forgive him, but rather will not pardon, be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smote against this man and the curses written in the book will settle upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Indeed, we have a jealous, a jealous God, zealous for that relationship with us. It's not hindered by anything else. And the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in the book of the law. And the next generation, your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say when they see the afflictions of that land and the sickness with which the Lord has made it sick. The whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown and nothing growing where no plant can sprout. An overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Admon and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. What if they didn't know God was a God of anger and wrath? What if, what if we didn't know that? And all the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to this land? What caused the heat of this great anger? Then people will say it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them. When he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshipped then gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. Here's such a great verse. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Sometimes I think we take so for granted that God chose to spoke, to speak, rather, that God chose to reveal himself to us. You know, he didn't have to. He didn't have to speak to the nation of Israel. He doesn't have to speak to us. How much would our life be in darkness, like I was in the middle of that tornado, not knowing what in the world was going on? How much greater would that experience be for us if our not God had not mercifully said, I'm going to tell you who I am. I am going to speak to you. How much fuller and richer and far greater blessed is our life because our God chose to reveal himself. The great mercy of our God in giving us the gift of revelation 
And that is what we are going to look at today. The preciousness of this gift, what it means for us, and the blessing that it brings into our life, into our darkness, the fact that God chose to reveal himself. We're going to do that by walking very carefully through verse 29, which is the very last verse that I read from this book in Deuteronomy. We're going to walk through it in segments. The first segment is just the very first part. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. You know, God has revealed much to us, and I don't know what your personality is like, but I love to ask why. I love to study. I love to analyze. I am a thinker. I love to understand absolutely as much as I can about the scriptures, as much as I can about the character of God. If I'm walking through a scenario, I'm always praying and thinking, God, what are you teaching me? What are you revealing about yourself? I love to know why. So the fact that there are secret things that I don't know is a little troublesome to me. (laughs) There's a part of me that just doesn't, doesn't like the fact that there are secret things that belong only to God because I like to know. However... I distinctly remember, and there's really only one instance in my life which tells you how much I love to know things. I remember distinctly an instance in my life that God brought about. And again, I'm a why asker. God doesn't always answer, but I almost always ask. And I distinctly remember this scenario happening. And it was the first and only time in my life I've ever said this to God. It was a near scenario that was very difficult. And it didn't make any sense to me at all. And I... For moments, just because it's so natural in me, began to think about why. And I realized that I didn't know what God's answer would be, or even if he would show me, I don't know. But I didn't want to know. Because I knew that the answer he could potentially give to me would be far more than I could handle. And I very distinctly looked at God and said, God, I know I'm a why asker, but I just want you to know I never want you to tell me the answer to this. I want to die never having known. There is a great mercy that God does not tell us everything. The fact that God keeps secrets from us is a very valuable blessing that sometimes people with my personality forget because I just want to know. And the reality is we cannot, this is on your outline, we cannot know everything there is to know about God. He is far too majestic. On your verse sheet, there's several verses that point out the reality of this. In Psalm 145, verse 3, we read that his greatness is unsearchable. We cannot know all of it. His understanding is beyond measure in the next verse. We can't even, we can't measure it. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. There are certain things that are kept secret from us, and one is we cannot know everything there is to know about the character of God. It's way too immense. The nation of Israel knew much about God, but they did not know everything there was to know about him. Secondly, the nation of Israel and us, we do not get to know everything about the will of God. Though God had revealed much to the nation of Israel, there was much they didn't know. They didn't individually know how many kids they'd have, who they'd marry, when they'd die. God had revealed a lot to them, thankfully. But there were a lot of things that had been kept secret from them that God did not tell them. There's a lot of things he doesn't tell us. And as I was thinking about this, an example of this came to my mind. 
in the book of Acts. It's on your verse sheet, so you can read along with me. Jesus has been interacting with his followers. He has already died and been raised from the dead. He is getting ready to ascend back into heaven. And I think this picture is what we're talking about so well. These followers had come together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. He basically says, that's a secret. You don't get to know. But in verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, you're not going to know some of these times, but let me tell you what you do get to know. You get to know you're getting power. You get to know you're getting the Holy Spirit. You get to know there's the mission before you. You're taking this message I've given you, this witness you're leaving. He didn't tell them everything, but he had told them some things. My question for us is, had we been there, which of these two people would you have been as you walked away from your interaction with Christ? Would you have been one of the one that leaves and runs home and says... Listen to what Jesus said today. We're getting power. We have this great mission. We're going to get to go everywhere and tell people about who Jesus is. He's bringing the Holy Spirit. Would you have been enamored with all the things Jesus had told you? Or would you have been in the group that left kind of thinking, well, why didn't he answer the question we ask? I mean, it's a pretty simple question. He he could have just told us. I mean, like, when, when do you think it's going to happen? I mean, the, you know, the ends, the fixed stones. I mean, I know he said we weren't going to know. But, like, when do you think it, like, might be? Would you have been more enamored with what you had been told or what you had not been told? Because I think some of us get more caught up and distracted by what we don't know than we are enamored with what and who we can know. And I have a heart check question, really, for every point we're going to talk about. And for this question is, have you let your concern with the secret things, the things that God has said, better off you don't know, have you let those things keep you from knowing what and who you can know? And my guess is, if you're anything like me, some of those things you really want to know are often tied to either really hard things that happened that you wish hadn't that you want to understand Or things you wish had happened and hadn't and haven't happened and you don't get it. And some of us have let what we consider the pain of not knowing an answer to one specific thing or a complete understanding of some scenario in our life. We have let that distract us from knowing the Christ that we can know. My encouragement to you is to let the secret things Be the secret things. God knows what you need to know. And he wants you to be far more enamored with what he has said and what he has revealed than getting caught up with some things he knows it's better you just trust him with. Let's move on to the next part of this verse. We see that there are secret things that belong to the Lord our God, but there are things that are revealed And I just, as I studied this, couldn't get over the graciousness of God that he's revealed. Anything that he's spoken. How many times in the scriptures do we read the word said, and God said, or Jesus said, or the prophet speaking on behalf of God said? But we skip over that verse, that that word. That's like the word we skip over to get to the good stuff. We miss the fact that he spoke at all. He spoke. 
Is that not the most amazing thing that the God of the universe came to the nation of Israel and said, I'm going to speak to you and make a covenant with you. I, the God of the universe, the unsearchable God, am going to reveal myself to you. It gives me chills to think about the fact that God would choose to do that for them. And he would choose to do that for us. And we just, we take that as an assumption and we miss the majesty of a God who reveals. Something that was so interesting as you think through the Old Testament, as you think about the nations that the nation of Israel lived among and around, many of them had false gods, they had idols. And something that is so interesting, and I could talk about this for a half hour, but I've just given you extra verses to read at home because I think it's so cool. Um, When you look in the scriptures about these idols and these false gods that are talked about, that the nations around the nation of Israel have, do you know how they're often described? In 1 Corinthians 12, 2, it mentions how they were described. They were described as mute idols. They were mute. They could not speak or say or reveal anything. They could not enter the darkness of the people that allegedly they were helping, they couldn't say anything. They couldn't help them. They offered no promises, no guidance, nothing. I have to read for you at least one of these passages because I thought it was so interesting. I'll just read it to you. Listen to what Habakkuk says about these idols. It's so pertinent as we consider the fact that the fact that God spoke and revealed is unique. It is unique in its existence. False gods and idols don't do this. It is unique of this God of the nation of Israel and of our God. Listen to Habakkuk. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. To a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Idols were silent before the people to whom they were allegedly trying to help. But our God speaks and reveals. Hebrews 4.12 talks about the word of God. It is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How unique is the word of our God. Our words are not living and active. They don't do what God's word does. The nation of Israel had a God who spoke. And that is unique. And so do we. We have a God who spoke. The next thing I want us to think about as we think about this idea of revelation. Not only did God choose to reveal himself, but his revelation is gigantic in scope. It is gigantic in its scope. I had you look up some verses this week in your homework about both general revelation and specific revelation. I'll talk briefly about both of them here. As we consider how gigantic, how gigantic... God's revelation was to the nation of Israel and to us. 
Psalm 19 is one of the verses that we had look as we consider general revelation, which is that revelation that has been given to all humanity. Whether or not people have the scriptures or not, this revelation is given. Psalm 19 talks about it. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And how gigantic is it? Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. The revelation of God that he gives to all humanity, that all can see his eternal attribute seen, covers everything to the end of the earth. Everything. This revelation is absolutely gigantic. Not just is it gigantic in general revelation, but in specific revelation, which is the words that God actually spoke. The words that he spoke through prophets, the words that Christ spoke, the words recorded in the scripture. That is what special revelation is. It's not if you pray about something and think God teaches you something, that's not special revelation. Special or specific revelation are those things in the scriptures, the words that God has actually spoken. And I want to talk about the scope of those words for us. Second Timothy 3 talks about this special revelation, the words that God has spoken. And it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. God's revelation, his specific revelation in the scriptures, is so gigantic that it is sufficient and enough for you for every good work. Do you catch the majesty and the massiveness and the giganticness of that? His spoken word here is enough It is sufficient for you for every good work. The things that God have revealed are all-encompassing. The final thing I'll mention real briefly about Revelation is that it is absolutely massive in its power. We have these idols saying nothing, and so of course that does nothing. But listen to the power, the power of the word of our God. It is massive, massive in its power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. His word is upholding the universe. That is an absolutely massive power connected to the word of God. Psalm 33 verse 6 reminds us of the power of God and his word in creation. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth all their host. This revelation of God, the fact that he reveals and speaks, is an all-encompassing, powerful reality for us. It is totally unique in its existence. It is absolutely gigantic in its scope. You cannot get away from it. There is nothing related to your life and godliness that it does not touch. And it is absolutely massive, massive in its power. And so the heart check question in regard to the revealed things is this. Are the revealed things of God the all-consuming reality of your life? Has who God is and what he has spoken completely come and taken over? Or is it just a part? Or is it the all-consuming reality for someone else, but not for you? 
The next word that we're going to see as we study through this passage is probably, or this verse, is probably my favorite word in this verse. The secret things belong to God. We've decided that's a good thing. But the things that are revealed, which are massive, belong to us and to our children forever. And I just couldn't get over this word belong. I just meditated so much and thought so much about this word belong. And I thought about things that belong to me. You know, it could be physical possessions. It could be gifts or skills you were given. I thought about family and friends and my siblings and my nieces and my nephews and all those things that belong to me. And I, and I made a, a list of words, just, and it's not related to every single thing, but just as I meditated on this word belong, what the word belong really means for me, and I, I've written them on on your outline. The things that belong to me, I protect. The things that belong to me, I love. I own them. They are mine. My nieces and nephews, they are mine. I care for the things that are mine, that belong to me. I guard them. Sometimes I want to share them. I'm proud of them. I cherish them. I honor them. I'm humbled by them. I celebrate them. I treasure them. Do the revealed things of God, who God is in the scriptures, do they belong to you? Do you feel inclined ever to guard what the scriptures are? To treasure them? To share it? To cherish it? I mean, are the scriptures yours? I mean, really yours? In the way that your kids or your family or whatever is, I mean, does it belong to you? Or is it a Bible that sits on your bedside that you pull out on Sundays and on Thursdays and on Wednesday night when you're doing your homework for Thursdays? Or is it something, it belongs to my small group leader. I mean, I can tell she really loves it. I'm not asking about your small group leader. I'm asking about you. Does it belong to you? Are the scriptures yours? Are there times when you read the scriptures, like I did this morning, 8 o'clock, sitting at the kitchen table, eating some oatmeal, got the word of God open. Psalm 9 was where I was this morning, and I'm glad that God has decided to share Psalm 9 with the rest of you. But I will tell you that Psalm 9 was written a whole long time ago, really just for me, for this morning. I mean, I mean, really. Like, God wrote it because he knew April 9th, 2009, Kathy's really going to need Psalm 9. Now, I hope the rest of you are encouraged by it. And just so you know, there's a lot of other verses that really are mine. I mean, you can get something out of them if you'd like to, but they are mine. Now, I know theologically he didn't just write them for me. But you'd be hard-pressed to fully convince my heart of that. Because Psalm 9 belongs to me today. God wrote that for me. The, the revealed things of God belong to you. Let's continue on. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. I think we've seen as we've studied through the book of Deuteronomy that as God revealed himself, as he spoke to the nation of Israel, as he commanded them things, he expected them to obey. He expected a response. And the same is true of us. What is your response to the revealed things? What are, what are you doing with that has been revealed. I read this quote that was so interesting. 
It says, does the Bible define the human problem and solution, or when we really want facts, do we turn somewhere else, to a modern secular authority who will really carry weight? Of course the Bible would be cited to bolster the argument. Political ideology, sociality, marketing, and other secular authorities must never be allowed priority in answering questions the Bible addresses. God has chosen to speak uniquely, and he's chosen to give us his word, which touches every part of humanity and is intended to touch every part of our life. And my question is, do you live like that? I mean, is, is it the Bible primarily, or is it, you know, you know, I kind of mix it all together. It's the Bible plus some sociology over here and some psychology and some marketing, and I kind of feel like this. Or, I mean, what, what is our response to it? Do we take this revelation and put it as one among many? Or is our response, this is it? Not that we never study sociology or marketing or anything or that those are bad, but is our response, we have the revealed things of God. God gave the nation of Israel his covenant. He gave the nation of Israel himself. And he intended that to be what they needed. Is that how we respond to the word of God? Is it at that level in our lives? And when we read something in it, what is our response to it? Is our response, yeah, but, I mean, I kind of think I should, or yeah, but, you know, I was reading that study that says, yeah, but, is a really bad response to the word of God. It's a really good way to train wreck your life and the lives of those around you when we start making excuses and saying, yeah, but, to the word of God. It just doesn't go real well. Our answer, our response to the revelation of God in his scriptures is, yes, Father. Now, I don't mean, I mean, it can be, yes, Father, okay, this one's going to be tough. Could you help me? Yes, Father, uh, I'm a little bit frustrated here, and my heart isn't quite right. Can you help me? It's all right to seek his help. I'm not saying pretend like you don't care. But our response to the word of God must be, yes, Father. Have you responded to the word of God in obedience, in placing it in that high of authority in our lives? Have we responded to the fact that God spoke by falling in love with him? He wanted the nation of Israel to know him. He wanted them to serve him from a heart of love. His response was not simply intended to be some kind of stoic obedience. He wanted them to fall in love with him as he revealed himself to them. What is your response to the revealed things of God? Now this next part to me is so fun. As we think about the nation of Israel and when they lived and what was going on for them, it was great and and God revealed and showed himself much to us. But on your outline, for the nation of Israel, the best part of revelation on earth was yet to come, but not for us. Our Bible doesn't end at Deuteronomy chapter 29. It keeps going. God sent us. We get to experience a part of revelation that they, as of yet, had not seen. We get the best part of revelation, which is Jesus Christ. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
we get a picture of the glory of the Father in Jesus Christ that they, they didn't fully get at that point. Also in Hebrews, such a great thing talking about Christ, that he's the radiance, the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature. Romans 16 talks about some mysteries that for a long time had been hidden, but were not. The nation of Israel did not know about the life, death, and resurrection of our Christ. They did not know of the mystery that then the the chosen people of God, the Jews, the nation of Israel, were one day going to be unified with these Gentiles and brought together into one body under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ and be unified with them. As you read the New Testament, you will see there are mysteries that we get to see and things that we have gotten to experience that they didn't. We know the name of Jesus Christ. Now they will get to see and know him in heaven just as we do. But we get something in Revelation. Something in Christ that they didn't get. And my question for us is this. The heart question. Heart check question. Did Jesus in the scriptures define God in reality for you? We've been given this revelation of Christ, the full entire canon of scripture. And is that what defines reality for you? I looked up some things that I just want you to read from, that I want to read to you rather. Just to listen to some things that are out there and, and recognize that it's not, um, it's not a foregone com- gone complete conclusion that just because God's revealed Christ, that that's what defines reality for everyone. The, the revealed word of God in the scriptures is, is not what defines God in reality for everyone. Mormonism said this, says this, God used to be a man on another planet. Islam says this, Jesus was a great prophet, but not the son of God, is not divine, was not crucified. Open theism says this, because God does not know all things, because he's dealing with free will creatures whose future choices he does not know, God can make mistakes in dealing with people. Christian science says this. Christ is the spiritual idea of sonship. Jesus was not the Christ. Jesus Christ is not God, as Jesus himself declared. Jesus did not reflect the fullness of God. Jesus did not die. Kind of common thinking, I just read across how these interesting descriptions and words people use. Does God want us to be happy? I think that our definition of higher power or God is very personal. My God or goddess loves me unconditionally and wants me to be happy, but gives me the choice to be unhappy if I want to be. Did Jesus in the scriptures define reality for you? Because they don't for everyone. Is that the picture that you have of God is that which is revealed in the scriptures and in the person of our Lord Christ. What I'd love for you all to do this week is just to maybe sit down for a few minutes and go back through these heart check questions and maybe just ask the Holy Spirit to show you one. This one that you really want to kind of focus on and work on. And sit down and kind of think through maybe some ways. What might it look like if you were going to adjust your heart in one of these areas? Just pick one. For example, maybe if you picked uh, belonging, you know, did the revealed things really belong to you? Thought, you know, I don't know that they belong to me. Maybe something you could try is to take one of these words that I've written down, protect, love, own, care for, guard, and just uh, for a week, one a day, just kind of think through that. 
And pray that the scriptures and who God is would really be that for you. And, and think about ways to live that out. Uh, you know, maybe if you're thinking, okay, I want to do share for a day. Well, and it doesn't have to be brain surgery. I mean, it doesn't have to be that difficult. I mean, if you want to do a significant study on infralapsarianism and explain it to your kids over dinner, that's fine. I don't really recommend that. But just the way that we live this out and share it, it might just be in the blessing as you're praying. Father, your word says you supply all our needs. Thanks that you do that and bless us as we eat. It shows that the word of God really belongs to you and to your children forever. Very simple. And you know, sometimes, and I know last week was a, a hard lesson, and don't get me wrong, obedience is and can be very hard and very painful, and I don't want to diminish that. But you know, obedience can be absolutely so much fun. Be creative with it. You know, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, my family, my, my friends, my niece and my nephews, if you walk into my house, because I cherish them so much, their pictures are everywhere. On my fridge, on my house, they're everywhere. You know, just to, to illustrate that you treasure the Word of God, be creative with it. Some of you are excellent artists. Read, it, read a scripture that you love and paint a picture that reflects that and put it in your house. Take a camera with you throughout your day. And as we think about general revelation and how God reveals himself to us, just take a picture. Put it on your fridge, just like you would with the people that you love as a reminder that God and who he's revealed himself to be and who he is is a treasure to you. Obedience can be fun. Take it. Be creative. Be creative with it. The secret things indeed do belong to the Lord our God. They are his, and it's better that the secret things stay the secret things. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Pray with me. Father, how we take it for granted that you spoke. How we take it for granted the amount of times in the scriptures that it says the word said, and we miss the mercy of that. How great it is that we cannot go anywhere, that we can get away from you. You are revealed through all of creation to every ounce of humanity. Your word which has spoken has been revealed to us in a way that is intended to touch every single solitary part of our lives. Jesus, the pinnacle of your revelation, is that light that waltzed into our darkness of confusion and sin and brought hope and a way out. God, we praise you for your mercy in giving us the gift of revelation. I am so incredibly grateful for it. God, I pray that you would enable us to know correctly who you are as you revealed in the scriptures and in the person of your son. That is not necessarily an easy thing to do. Where we live, we're told a lot of things. Help us to really truly know who you are and what you've revealed. And oh God, may our hearts cling to them as we cling to all the other things that belong to us so that we may live and respond in a life of loving obedience to our merciful Christ who came and revealed to us the absolutely majestic glory of who you are. What a priceless, priceless gift you have given us and that you gave to the nation of Israel in the gift of revelation. It's in the name of that Christ who perfectly reveals you to us that we pray. Amen. Thank you.
Kathy. If you are a parent of children between 2 and 18, there's a parenting conference here at church on Saturday, April 18th, just for you. The topic is cooperation, consequences, and keeping your sanity.